And now, discover your true course. This podcast is a production of True Course Life and Leadership Development. Your host, founder and president, Dr. Michael Godfrey. Hello, and welcome to Discover Your True Course. This podcast is a part of our service to and support for organizations and individuals in their pursuit of more that matters. You know it's a complicated, confusing world out there. Who do you trust to help you sort it out? True Course is a trusted guide for accomplished and successful individuals who want to manage their success and know that there's still more that matters. Our clients discover ways to be more, see more, achieve more, and finish without regret, both personally and professionally. We spend all day, every day, resolving problems. We tend not to label many of the situations as problems since many of them are small and easily resolved with familiar methods. They're problems nonetheless. When a situation is more complex, more novel, and has greater impact on our lives and relationships, we label those as problems. The COVID-19 pandemic and associated crises has created a novel problem space that requires masterful problem-solving skills for clearly defining the problem space and discovering novel solutions that are required. These are soft skills that are most desirable in organizations today, but they appear to be rare. Let's review what we've done with problem solving in the last couple of episodes, and then talk about some mistakes you can make in problem solving that can torpedo the process and make your decisions not only look dumb, but seriously misguided. We've looked at the principles and skills involved, as well as some hindrances to our personal effectiveness in problem solving. In defining the problem space, it's important to include present reality, future desired state, and possible actions for bridging the gap between the two. We also emphasize the importance of process that includes assessing, evaluating, creating, acting, and then repeat that process toward identifying and solving problems over and over and over again. Finally, we noted a few hindrances to effective problem solving to include, one, the limitations of our working memory, two, our emotional attachment to the familiar, the routine, and the traditional, and three, our own anxiety in the face of problems which dramatically diminishes our ability to see the bigger picture, communicate well, and think critically and rationally. In the next few episodes, I want to continue to look at hindrances to effective problem solving. And this is not just kicking the can down the road, but really solving the problem. Giving in to these mistakes we're going to talk about can torpedo your process, make your decisions look ill-considered at best, and dumb or even seriously misguided at worst. No professional wants that kind of reputation. So as we consider these hindrances, my request is that you think about how you've seen them and their effect on decision-making and problem-solving with your team, your family, your friends, and in your community leadership. You can expect them to show up somewhat frequently in yourself and others. Your management of them will be critical for achieving the best outcomes and the novelty impact of COVID-19. These hindrances to making great decisions are called cognitive biases. Cognitive biases have been around forever, but they were brought to the fore in the late 19th century and then more recently by Amos Tversky and Daniel Kahneman in the 1970s. 
Every person on the planet uses these at some time, so just admit that you're typical, that you use them, and we'll go on together to learn more about them. Admitting and understanding the use of cognitive biases can help you manage them when they show up and make better decisions as a result. So what are they? Cognitive biases are mental shortcuts that an individual uses to frame information. These shortcuts lead to deviating from rational objectivity, and they are flawed and error-filled, producing subjective, irrational, flawed, and error-filled outcomes. This framing is systematic. This means that it is a consistent flaw or an error inherent in our cognitive limitations for processing information. It continues to occur unless the person adjusts their thinking to be more critical and rational. To the one employing them, these biases make perfect sense, and they believe the bias is true. Those hearing them may also believe they make sense and believe them to be true. Some biases are benign and used innocently, while sometimes their use can be malignant. Regardless of purpose or intent, they will torpedo good problem-solving efforts and can have a serious effect on life and work. More reasons we use these include the following. We have a need for information processing shortcuts. Our attentional capacity is limited. Our cognitive processing capacities are limited. Therefore, we need ways to manage the amount of information that comes and goes. This involves simple procedures or rules called heuristics that we employ to help find answers to challenging questions, though the answer we come up with is often flawed. These heuristics, or rules, help us manage and process thoughts, make judgments, and solve problems more quickly and efficiently, reducing the mental effort required. Heuristics can be helpful, but they can also lead to flawed and error-filled reasoning. We have some of these in common, and some are unique to the individual. The outcomes of these shortcuts are not necessarily optimal, and they're certainly not perfect or even rational, but they may be what is needed in the short term. There are a number of heuristics. Three of the major ones are the availability heuristic or rule refers to how quickly an idea or memory can be brought to mind. So a person judges frequency, likelihood, reality, or truth in terms of how frequently or infrequently an idea is brought to mind and can be brought to mind. If the idea is easily recalled, it's considered to be more likely. If the idea is difficult to recall or cannot be recalled at all, it is considered less likely or not considered at all. If a person recalls two events together, those two events can be wrongly associated with each other. The representative heuristic leads to making a decision by comparing the present situation or an individual to a mental example of a situation or of an individual. It's about similarity and how we group ideas together. For example, if a person looks like a known criminal, then we judge that they must be a criminal. It can lead to incorrect cause and effect assumptions as well. The affect heuristic leads to making decisions in light of the emotions that are present at the moment. An example of this would be our gut responses. We use this rule to make our judgments in light of how we feel. And then one more is an anchoring heuristic, which says that the first idea that comes up, we're going to tend to anchor all of the rest of the data and all the rest of the ideas to that particular idea or concept and go no farther and anchor it nowhere else so it limits our ability to see a broader scope. So these are ways that biases can manifest themselves in our honest attempt to manage our limited cognitive capacity. Also, we may have biases that surface in relationship to social influences. And this involves our interest in being well thought of and being seen as, uh, as intelligent and capable. 
Another area where biases show up is in emotional and moral motivations. Stress, anxiety, and fear dramatically affect how we communicate and how we think. This was mentioned earlier in this and other episodes involving our emotional attachment to the familiar, the routine, and the traditional, our own anxiety in the face of problems, which dramatically diminishes our ability to see the bigger picture, communicate well, and think critically and rationally. And then there are distortions that occur in storing and retrieving our memories. Our ability to remember is notoriously unreliable. Memories change moment by moment. A witness on the stand in a court will only recover the memories that they have in the moment, and they may or may not be accurate. The same is true for every other memory as to whether they are accurate. And so distortions can occur in relation to that. So in an attempt to try to manage our limited cognitive ability using rules that help us take shortcuts, and in our attempt to be socially influential, in our attempt to manage our emotional and moral motivations, and in the use of our memories, which are notoriously unreliable, we will find that faulty reasoning will include some of these things that I'm going to tell you about now. I'm going to speak of broad concepts here, and then in later episodes, I'm going to pull them down to very specific biases that occur in these categories. There are a variety of different ways of organizing the biases. This is just one of them. Later on, I'll organize them in a little bit different way. It really doesn't matter as long as you become aware of the biases. Included in our faulty reasoning are attentional biases. We will pay attention to what is different or unfamiliar to the exclusion of everything else. We'll collect information to support or confirm our own beliefs about things and disregard other information that is not in line with what we believe. We'll demonstrate a bias toward the familiar and believe it to be better than anything novel. We may focus more readily on what's in front of us at the time rather than what was in the past or could be in the future. And we work on completing things we've invested in even when the outcome will be poor. There are processing biases where we quickly generalize and discard specifics and details, or we simplify the complex, we might say oversimplify. We choose the simple and the straightforward over the complex and the ambiguous. The complex and ambiguous are inherent in novel problem-solving situations. We may create patterns even when the data are weak or scarce, and we may interpret the past and future based on the present. We may also have memory biases, where we edit and reinforce our memories to serve the situation. We remember things that are unusual and that are repeated often, which may not necessarily be the rule. We need to be willing to look outside these things. We'll create stories to consolidate memories and make sense of experiences. This is a natural and normal thing, but not to exclude all the other information that is outside of the story and not to blind us to that other information. And then we often fill in the blanks to flesh out generalities. When we don't have definitive information about what's supposed to be in the blank, we make it up. There are social biases that we create. We'll soft-pedal our flaws and readily notice flaws in other people. We believe we know what others are thinking, but we don't necessarily seek to find out. We just assume. We may want to make an impact and be important, so we'll do what's necessary to make that happen. We'll do all we can to avoid the embarrassment of mistakes on individual status, on group status, and we will avoid irreversible decisions. So the keys to managing these types of biases is to be aware of what they are, how they work, when they're active, and be able to work with them when posed by self or others. In the next episode, we're going to talk about just how to do that and some initial steps, and then we'll begin to outline in detail what some of these biases are that could affect your decision-making and problem-solving, and likely will. 
Oftentimes, cognitive biases can be rooted out and worked with if a third-party facilitator is in the room working with the group, and I often do this with businesses and teams and boards. In meetings like this, I listen a lot, ask questions, and say what I think I'm hearing, and let the group react to it. This is not to put anyone on the spot, embarrass anyone, or discourage anyone. I invite the group to define unbiased reality and make plans accordingly. Only a person who is without agenda except for the success defined by the group, who is objective and has no skin in the game, can do this. Do contact me if I can help you in your quest to be more, see more, and achieve more in your life, relationships, and career, and finish without regret. I'm Michael Godfrey. Thanks for listening. See you next time. This has been a production of True Course Life and Leadership Development. Copyright by J. Michael Godfrey. All rights reserved.